It's all great. How you doing, everybody? Good afternoon. Saturday. Hey, it's not raining. You're in the shade. That's a plus for the most part. Um, my name is Jason Ostrander, and I didn't spoke this morning. My time was short, so I didn't really get a chance to introduce myself and what I'm all about. But uh, I'm somebody that's been coming to creation since I was 11. I was one of those classic youth group kids from Philadelphia that jumped on the bus, had no idea what I was going to do. And a bunch of people just like you gave up their weekend or their week to come and you know get all sweaty here in the name of the Lord and came out. And when I was a little guy, I remember standing down front, you know, standing up to say, I want Jesus in my life. And uh, that started a really, really great and crazy and sometimes confusing journey with Jesus. And Along the way, I was a youth pastor for a while. Along the way, I worked at a denomination headquarters for the Christian Missionary Alliance. Along the way, um, fell in and out of love with the full-time vocation of being a pastor. And, and by out of love, I mean just confused as to how to reach the masses of this world that, that won't step into the church, you know. And that was always a big concern of mine. And so I made an effort probably three years ago now to, uh, to go bivocational in the ministry. So I'm actually a COO of a general and major general construction firm out of Long Island, uh, New York. Right now, that's my nine to five. And uh, that helps to support the tent making uh, aspects of my, of my current ministry journey. I'm partnering with a church out of Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, out in Philadelphia currently. Um, and I've learned a lot about ministry in the space of where ministry doesn't exist. And I think the thing that inspired me into that location, into that place, was Jesus himself. You know, you, if you've known much about the Bible and if you know much about Jesus, you know that there's really nothing conventional there. We think it's conventional because it's conventional to us as believers, right? But it's not conventional to the rest of the world. It's not conventional to, to understand the love of God, <laughs> It's not conventional to grasp the depth and the, and the breadth of, of, of the word of God, the, the double-edged sword that it is. I work in an environment now where it's not that it's hostile against the gospel. It's just that nobody cares. They don't care. <laughs> because there's a thousand, a gazillion other things on this planet to care about. And a lot of them are good things to worry about. And I think it's in those non-conventional spaces that I love to watch Jesus the most. If you were out at the fringe stage this morning, I talked about the desire for us as believers that Jesus has, that we not live out of the wealth of what we have. And I'm not just talking financial wealth. I'm talking about health. I'm talking about social status. I'm talking about our function in this world and how often the world drives us to get better, get faster, do it more. <laughs> and Jesus slows everything down to a halt and says, my concern is for those people that will live out of the poverty of their lives. It's never something that when I was growing up in church that I heard anybody speak about. Giving out of the poverty of your life. If you think about it though, it does make the most sense in the long run. Because out of that place, when you have nothing to give, when you have, when you have no way to make effect because you get to your limitations, you get to the end of yourself, man, that's where God wants to take over. Our daily battle as Christians is not 
with the world necessarily. It's really kind of with ourselves. Thinking that I have everything that I need to pull this thing off. That, this, that I'm good, that I, I, I prepared myself, I went to the right college, I got the right job, I married the right person, or I'm in the right community, and those are things that are going to solidify my standing. <laughs> and when the rich young ruler met Jesus and he said, here's all the things I've done, I've killed it. I have absolutely crushed this life. I'm wiser beyond my age. I have, I have wealth in a space where people don't have wealth. Jesus looked at that and he gave a bit of a golf clap and said, I'm sure you followed all of the the commandments, right? Yep, list them off. Here's what I've done. I've done all these things. Now, by the way, when Jesus talks to the rich young ruler and he gives these, these do's and do nots, it's not like he's giving something overtly spiritual. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. You and I are going to have a better life on this planet if we don't kill somebody, right? It's just going to be better. It's going to be better in this life if we don't lie a bunch and we don't cheat on our spouse. Life will be better. But then Jesus does what only Jesus can do with the rich young ruler, and he raises the bar to not better, but perfect. Only the perfect one can ask you and I to be perfect. If anybody on this planet asks you to be perfect, they don't have the ability to do that. And they should never coerce you into trying to be perfect. Because they themselves are not. Jesus is never asking us to go to a place that he himself has not gone, right? So his perfection is something that we can attain, but only through him. And when the rich young ruler who has done everything he could to, to, to live the way that the world around him has told him to live is met with Jesus face to face and Jesus says, listen man, I got 12 disciples in a 15 cargo passenger van. I got room for one more. Leave all this stuff behind. Go sell everything you have. Don't worry, you'll get riches on that later. And let's go, come and follow me. He couldn't. I mean, by the way, when I talk about this in youth ministry circles, this rich young ruler kid was the epitome of the greatest kid in your youth group. Would have been there every Wednesday night, would have been at every mission trip, would have gone to every camp, would be there early to start to put the chairs just in the right way and stack the chairs at night before you go home. Perfect. Did everything. Because that was me, by the way. If youth group existed eight days a week, I'd have been there all eight. Youth group saved my life. Saved me from making a lot of dumb choices in this life. Saved me from wanting to wander on down pathways that maybe God would say, you can go there, but I don't know why you'd want to. <laughs> in the sixth grade, my mom pulled the minivan up to, I went to a church, Davisville Baptist Church out of Philadelphia area. She pulled up the minivan and kicked me out the door and said, welcome to middle school youth group. <laughs> Walked downstairs into, it was one of those uh, older style churches where you got to go through the gymatorium before you can get into the cafeteria, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I saw things I'd never seen before. These giant red balls flying at high rates of speed across, you know, hither and yon. I'm like a little sixth grader, you know, and I don't know what's going on. And then the worst thing possible happens to me as a sixth grader. These four burly men with beards and muscles come walking up to me. Me, sixth grade, little sixth grader. Don't even know what I'm doing here. And then those guys did two things. They asked me two questions that forever changed my life. The first one they said is, hey man, what's your name? Why do you want to know me? What do I have to offer you, right? Because the world is all about offering, all, all about opportunity, right? They have no opportunity by knowing a sixth grader. See, I didn't understand how ministry worked. I didn't understand that they were working out of the love of Jesus Christ in this moment. I couldn't define that. But it was the second question that forever sealed my fate in eternity. They said, would you like to be on our dodgeball team? <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. I'm in. God will use it. I'm sure he's used it for many of you and many of those people out there. 
using things that don't seem overtly Christian or overtly spiritual, but something that draws us into the love and understanding of who Jesus is. And the entire time I spent in youth ministry was just a day after day understanding, learning, fall down, get back up, fall down, get back up, be confused about it, understand it for once. Relationship with Jesus. The Word of God becomes something that is unlike any other book. These gentlemen will tell you. They've given their life over to making sure that everybody has one. But my friends, it's more than just having one, right? It's about consuming it and understanding it. The Bible says to look at this thing, to see that there's something wrong with your hair or something on the side of your face. You see it, you know it's there, and you walk away and unchange it, right? It's like looking in a mirror and doing nothing to change. The Word of God doesn't want you to walk away unable to, to be the same person. But I'll be honest that my time in youth ministry, although awesome, threw me for such a major faith loop. I mean, I knew every great hiding spot in the church. (laughs) We had a big church, hide and go seek, sharks and minnows, best games ever. I knew my youth pastor up and down. I knew who he was. I knew all my friends. I knew every camp song. I knew every every game. I knew every nook and cranny of wherever we went. But I'm going to get to the conclusion right here. And I did all of that for 13 years and even went on to become a youth pastor and realized that that entire journey was sometimes a journey, an adventure, and missing the point. (laughs) Because I didn't see Jesus. I mean, I did. Vicariously, through other people. It was only when I got older. Maybe it just comes with maturity, right? When you go to the Word of God, you grow in maturity, you understand the essentials. But I have to tell you that when I got to college, I went to a Christian college, and while I was there, I had such a crisis of faith. A friend of mine almost died. He was on life support. And in that moment, when I wanted to go grab from deep things, from the deep wells of, of Christianity, from the deep wells of the Bible and the understanding, I realized that all I had was a bunch of really good youth group events and some people that loved to play dodgeball with me. <laughs> I have no idea if you resonate with that. But for me, you know there's a bunch of people walking away from the faith, right? Like people that are known. We do have crisis. Doubt is a part of this life, right? Doubt is actually inherently good. Because if I can take the doubt that I have in my life and I can offer it back to God as a sacrifice because he's the only one that can bring a surety in that space, man, I'm a winner. But if I harbor it, I put it in a suitcase and I carry it around with me and I only bring it out when I want to bring it out, That's dangerous. And honestly, it wasn't fully understandable to me until I concentrated on the parable of the lost son. There's probably no greater passage in the Bible for me. We all have our great sections, the the places that we love to go to, right? The comfort food of the Bible. (laughs) And we do have to understand that we got to go beyond just the comfort food, right? There's more than just the New Testament alive and well. But in the space of comfort food for me is Luke chapter 15. Jesus continued. He was talking to the Pharisees, and he was also talking to the Gentiles. So we have two very opposing sides that are listening to him. And he's going to do what he always does best, talk to everybody all at once. You ever go to a thing, you go to some, you, some random speaker, and you go, and when he's done, he was like, that was for me. That was for me. I've never even been here before, but that was for me. That's Jesus at work, because he can talk to everybody from every perspective at once, and everybody's going to get a piece of him if we lean in and want So much like this setting without amplification, Jesus is talking 
to people that are listening to him. And they're going to get something from their perspective. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together everything he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who set him to do feed, feed the pigs in his fields. And while he was doing it, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I'm sure you've heard this parable a thousand times. And I did too. And it, and, and it affected me, right? It affects all of us in the sense that we're going to go walk into this understanding of we were the one who was far off from God. And because of Christ, we can draw near. We know that there's a house in this story. We know that there's a father, an old man who has two sons that he loves very much. And it wasn't totally... Uh, out of custom for them to ask for inheritance early, but they did. They asked for the inheritance early and they wanted to split it between the two. The father willingly split everything he had between the two, gave his older son the money and gave his younger son the money. Now the younger son wanted to go out and have a life. For whatever reason, he was done working in the house. He was done slaving in the backyard. He was wanting to see. People were talking about things that go beyond where he's at and so he wants to go. Sorry, real quick, a parable, just so we all understand. I'm not gonna assume you know everything. A parable is a story. This is not actually something that truly happened in real life. The story being told was. But Jesus would often speak in parables, right, which is like an earthly story with a godly understanding, right? It's the way that we can express God, which, by the way, we can never be able to really understand God. In our imperfect state, in our, in our finite amount of understanding, to try to take an infinite thing and be like, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. There's no way we could relate to God except for Jesus through the understanding of his word. And Jesus was a perfect communicator, by the way. Perfect. And so if there was a better way to express who God was or the kingdom of God or the love that the Father has for us, he would have done it. And so what did he do? Three-point sermons? No. Stories. Because we're story people. We're in our own story, and we're listening to other people's stories, and those stories mesh over top of one another, and they influence us, and they change us. It's why we like to watch movies. It's why Netflix exists. Because we're story people. We binge stories. No one binges going and working out. You might. But most of us binge watching things. (laughs) So Jesus is going to tell a story. The three characters, the father and the two sons. The younger son we know about because he's the one that we almost always reference in life, right? We all consider that we, when we take the perspective and the understanding of the Bible, that we are the prodigal son. And we can kind of make the connection that the Father is like the Father heart of God, right? That wants us to be with him, wants us to be in the house. But we kind of go our own way sometime. The younger brother goes off, spends all of his money. He makes a lot of friends with the money he has. He goes in and he says, I'm going to establish myself here. And no better way to do that than to buy everybody's drink in the house right now and buy everybody's meal. He starts amassing and making friends. And for a temporary amount of time, he was having a blast. Until all of a sudden, the bottom fell out of what he had, and there was no money in the land. And now he's feeding pigs. And so hungry, he wished he could eat the pig food. I have not been that hungry. So I have to try to imagine what that hunger is like. But I have been in a place where I felt like this was all useless. I have been in a place where I doubted all of this. 
And what happens in those spaces is exactly what happened to the younger brother. It says, and I love this passage, he came to the end of himself. Which is where, by the way, we all have to get if we really want Jesus to come in crashing through our front door. We get to the end of ourselves. And he said, what am I doing? Why am I out here working for another person when I know my father has servants at home that live better than I do right now? I know what I'll do. I'll return back to him and ask him if I can work for him. Not a bad plan. Not a bad plan. And so if you're watching this play out in your mind, I see him in the field holding two slot buckets. He drops them. He turns around Forrest Gump style about face and just walks home catches a ride. I don't know how he gets there, but he gets back to where the father is. And the entire time that he's traveling back to the father, in his mind, he's rehearsing this speech, right? He, he said, here's what I'm going to do. When I see him, I'm going to tell him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. He is rehearsing this. Because listen, he knew what he did. He took the money and he ran. And he, and he burned all the money on things that he's not really proud of. And now he's got to go back to the Father. And you know, kind of like when we have to admit we did something wrong, especially to somebody that we respect or love or as a father or mother type figure in our lives, we think a plan through. You think a plan through. You know you're going to say something. And so the whole time he's walking back, he's going to say, I'm going to tell the Father I am not worthy of me being allowed to return to him. Now, scene next scene. Go to the house. The house is kind of like one of those things you would see, like a, a, kind of like around here, like a far up on the top of the hill, kind of dusty little shaker home with a swing door that opens and clacks back down right when you go out of it. And that is where the father is. He's in there. He's at the edge of his porch day after day, looking over the berm in front of his place, hoping that he'll see a silhouette one day of someone that looks like his younger son. Always longing, always waiting, always ready. And then the one night came. As he's looking over the berm, he sees a figure that was a lot like his son, but seems more worn down, hunched over. The burden of the world, the burden of his shame, the burden of everything on him, walking his way back to the Father. And can you imagine his surprise and, and, and curiosity when he sees this wild-eyed-haired man coming running out of the house, over the hill, running right at him, running to him. Now, you don't know. I'm either going to get a slap what are you going to do about this? How are you going to fix this? And while he was thinking about getting ready to say his speech, he is bowled over by the overwhelming hug of his father. <laughs> bowled over. In complete shock, doesn't understand why I'm getting this. This is not what I thought. I'm getting ready to say my speech. And he pushes him back and he says, no, father, hold on. I got to do this thing I've been rehearsing. And he couldn't even get through the speech before the father cut him off and said, nah, forget about your speech. And then he starts calling people. We're going to put a party together. Kill that big calf out there. Yeah, bring that in. Go tell the neighbors we're here because my son who is gone has now come back. And he's just like, what is going on? A day ago, I wanted to eat pig slop. Now my father is throwing a party for me. And that doesn't even, that doesn't even begin to help you understand the, the ridiculousness of what's going on. Because then the father does something so profound. And only the economy of God he takes off his robe, that's his, and he takes the man who probably has barely anything on him, and he puts the robe on him. He takes his sandals off, because he sees that his son, his feet are cracked and bleeding from the journey. He has nothing left, and he puts his sandals on. And then, in a sheer moment of complete enablement, he takes off his expensive ring, and he puts it on the finger of his son. You know what you don't give somebody that gambled away all their money? More money. 
But that's not the economy of God. That's the economy of man. And he does something so ridiculous, so in a sense of seeing a gesture that is so, why would you ever do that? And he does it. And the younger son is realizing the overwhelming love that the father has for him. Everything that he had thought about him is now changed in an instant. My friends, that is us, all of us, when we come to the father. When we accept Jesus Christ as our personal savior and we bring him into our life and we want to go forward with him, we're partied. We're, we're celebrated. There's banners waving over us. So I'm going to stop right here and I'm going to say this. If you have not had that experience with God, if you do not feel that in this life you have ever come to the end of yourself and said, I need Jesus, you must. You can search the world over and you will not find anything greater than the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you're within hearing me and you're saying, I want to make that decision. I want to talk to somebody. I want to pray with somebody about bringing Jesus into my life for maybe the first time ever. I'm going to be right here after this is over. You can come right on down and I will pray with you or I'll pray for you wherever part of the journey you're at. Maybe you're like, I don't know, man. I'm not ready, but I have not known that about Jesus before. I'm starting to understand some of this. Praise God for revealing himself, right? <laughs> so here's this young man who has nothing and now, in a sense, has everything. Over a night, in, in a second. Which, by the way, is when, when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and God comes into our life, he doesn't say, I'm going to give you a tenth of a percent of me and see how you do with that tenth of a percent. If you work that out, if you can stay consistent in going to church and tithe a little bit here and there, I'll give you a little bit more of me. No way, no way. Find a verse in the Bible that says that, you won't. Instead, when I get God, I get all of him. Paul prays in Ephesians that we would be filled to the full measure of who God is. Think about that for a second. Not just look like him, act like him, but be filled to his full measure. That's a ridiculous request, by the way. But one that we are allowed to engage with. Again, for the majority of my Christian life growing up, the story of the prodigal son always ended right there. It ended, and somebody would say, and who would like to give their life over to Christ like this young man did? And somebody and people would, right? Beautiful thing. And we would get swept up into the understanding of the prodigal son that has returned home, and we would applaud, and we would celebrate because it's such a beautiful thing when somebody does give their life over to Christ. There's a whole nother piece. Verse 25, the first word is the best one. Meanwhile. Meanwhile, while all this is going on out in the front of the house, right? This beautiful sobbing and partying and hugging and ring exchanging. Out in the back working one of the hose or the shovel is the older brother. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Real quick, you know you got a party when you hear dancing. You can hear music all day long, but if you hear dancing, it's a ruckus event. This is happening. And he comes into this space, and he's like, what's going on? The servant, who's, by the way, probably on some agenda from the father to go pick up some food or something, has to stop and be like, oh, well, you don't know? You haven't heard? Your younger brother, he's back. He returned, and we're throwing him a huge party. And then the older brother was so excited about it, he went and he joined into the party and got into it. No. Not at all. 
In fact, the exact opposite. He threw a kindergarten hissy fit right out in the backyard. The older brother, in verse 28, became so angry and he refused to go inside. Now, check this out. This is a sad part of the story. The father's inside the kitchen. In my mind, he's making up a bunch of lemonades. He's spinning turntables over here. Everybody's having a blast. And he goes to refill the pitchers and he looks out the back window and he sees the older brother out there like this. He's like, what's going on? He removes himself from the very party that he wants to be a part of and goes out back to try to figure out why the older brother's meat mugging in the backyard. And when he gets there, and he says, what's wrong? A terrible display of kindness and love. The older brother points at the father right at him and says, look, all these years I've stayed here. And I have slaved for you. And I've done everything you wanted me to do. And I never even got so much of a little calf to have a party with. And then this son of yours, by the way, who squandered all of his money away on prostitutes and bad living. It wasn't like he made an investment in an equity firm and lost everything. No, he screwed it all up. And he gets a party? You see it? And it's in that moment, when I fully understood this, that I realized that I was not the younger brother. I was the older brother. I've been around the church my whole life, since the day I can remember. Try to do my devotions in the morning, trying to read Ecclesiastes before school, you know, trying to do the thing that I'm supposed to do, thinking that this is what's going to solve it all. And then all of a sudden, there'll be like something like Easter. It happened like every year. Somebody would come up and give like these glorious testimonies, man. And I'll never forget this one guy, James. He came up, big guy, huge guy, tattoos all over the place. First of all, we went to a church where this wasn't allowed, so I was just excited that somebody like that was on stage. And this guy comes up and he's being interviewed and they're asking about his life and he's talking about a terrible life that none of us would ever want, by the way, but he got. And then he talks about the moment when he's in jail, he's flat on his back looking up to a little peephole of a window and he gives his life to Christ and says, this is yours. I can't do this anymore. He came to the end of himself. And after he was done giving his testimony, the whole church gave a standing ovation for what God has done. You know what I was thinking? No fair. I want one of those testimonies. That's what I was thinking. Because I don't see God like that. I don't see Jesus like that at all. I was around him all the time. I sang to him. I read about him. I didn't bring him into my life. I didn't get to the end of myself. If you were there this morning, I told you, admittedly, that I suffer when doing this because I rely so much on my own abilities to communicate. And I don't want to. I want Jesus to go beyond any word that I could say and throw it one miles down and deeper into your heart. <laughs> but it's going to start with me understanding that I am the rich, excuse me, well, I was the rich young ruler too, and I'm the older brother who doesn't understand what I have in God. The response of the father after this little rant is so beautiful. If ever there was a reason for a father to go, oh, you little, he didn't. Instead, he does the most beautiful thing that all of us, by the way, if we throw a hissy fit with the father, we'll all get this. My son, my daughter. Look at that. He brought it right back to an understanding of who he is, his position. Yeah, you worked hard. You worked differently than the younger brother, but he's my son and you're my son. You're both called the same thing. No matter what you and I have done in this world, good, wrong, or indifferent, things that you would willingly admit and things that you hope never hits the light of day. When you bring that fully to him, you're not going to get, well, we're going to have to figure out how to get you out of this sticky situation you got yourself into, aren't we? What are you going to do to repay this? How are you going to make this right again? No, you know what's going to be, you're going to be told? You're my son. You're my daughter. Everything I have is yours.
Jesus never asked me. Oh. I love this for two reasons. Reason number one, it puts a large majority of the responsibility to connect with God on our shoulders, which is where it rightfully belongs. Sometimes we just trip lightly into Christianity and assume that we're just going to walk around and not have to study the Word of God and not have to go to church and not have to be involved with Christian communities. And it's just going to be, I'm going to understand everything in the Bible. You're not. You're not. You need people in this world to be able to, to, to translate, interpret, bring the Spirit of God through this. You don't need just preachers, but you need people in your lives that when you go through struggles, they're there for you. And they're going to take you to the throne daily. My biggest fear for the next generation of Christianity is this, that they would attempt to live this Christian life in any capacity without an understanding of the Word of God. If this is truly the will of God, if the Word of God is the will of God, then I can then make this next statement. The amount of which I understand this is the amount of which I understand the will of God. People are walking around all the time. I wonder if this is the will of God. I wonder if that's the will of God. I don't know. Let's go see what the Bible has. Nah, I don't want to do that. I just want to know what the will of God is. It's right here. Yes, I can look generally, and I can see things that are so beautiful, and I can say there must be a God. I can watch a human birth. I can see animals. I can go and see the most intricate molecule things that they're finding. We're going to try to go to Mars. I don't know. And I can say, wow, there must be a God. But if that's all I rely on, my friends... You'll just walk around thinking this entire Christian life is a coin flip. Well, maybe he's in it. I don't know. Heads, I go to this college. Tails, I go to this college. By the way, if any of you are getting ready to go to college or you're, or you're thinking about where you're going to go, or you're, let me tell you something. Because uh, when I was a youth pastor, it would be like April. It would happen every April. Kids would want to do one-on-ones with me. And they would want to bring me their thoughts on where they want to go to college and say, which one do you think God wants me to do? I have that knowledge, right? But, but, I, but here's what my response is. And in response to any of you making an important decision in your life and you're wondering, it doesn't matter which college you go to. It doesn't. It doesn't matter which job you take. Here's what matters. When you pick that college, when you get there, will you seek God first? When you take that job or when you make that decision, while you're there, will God be the very first thing you seek out in that space? Or will you wait to figure everything out and then bring him in? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But you never asked. My great adventure in missing the point when I was growing up in church and youth ministry was that I didn't take access of what I had in the father. I was kind of waiting for it to come to me. I wasn't seeking. I was Moses before Moses was Moses, right? When Moses was the guy that, you know, that God would come up to him and say, hey, I want you to go tell this guy this thing. Okay, yeah, I'll go tell him this thing. Hey, by the way, uh, firstborns are all going to die after tomorrow, right? And he's just doing, he's, he's literally just doing the bidding of what God wants him to do. That was my life. And then all of a sudden, one day, Jethro, his father-in-law, which is great that he listened to his father-in-law, comes into his life and he says, my friend, if you want to speak for God, you got to go to where he is, up on the mountain. And that changed Moses' life forever. He went from being a simple servant to a desirous seeker of God. He goes up on the mountain, which he's been told, by the way, that if you go up there, you're going to burn up, right? So he goes in there anyway. And he goes up to this space, and more and more frequently he's with him. He's with him so much that people actually thought he was dead. Like, is Moses still alive? 
And when he would come down, he'd have to shroud his face with a cloth because it looked so odd because he had been with God. <laughs> By the way, I hope one day, I hope one day for you and for me that what happens in our life is people forget where we are because we're spending so much time with God. Forget where we are. Now, I know that sounds a little reckless and a little severe. But if you choose to do that, he's there waiting. Absolutely, he's there. If you choose to let go of the trappings of this Christian life, because there are trappings in this Christian life, by the way, the rich young ruler, he wasn't a bad guy. He was just doing good things. Jesus just upped the ante from good to perfect. So your ante is upped, by the way, by being here. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, don't leave this woods without talking about it. I'm not saying you've got to stand up and make a decision right now, but if, you, if that's you, if the Spirit of God is drilling on your heart right now, which I'm sure he is, and you're trying to think of every other reason why you should ignore that, don't do it. Go with it. See where it takes you. Then that's your challenge. If you're like me, and you grew up in Christianity, around Christianity, and it's kind of become boring, and you're hoping if I go to a festival, which I've been waiting for for two years, it's going to really spark something. Sure, for a couple of hours, you're going to be like jumping all around. But this isn't it either. It's knowing that the God who loves you and created you has everything for you. But you just have to ask. You have to seek. You have to go to the mountain, not concerned about the consequences. Seek his face. And then see what he does. I'll close with this. The book of Philemon. I love Philemon. A, it's really short. It's helpful. But it is a microcosm story that exhibits the full grace of God. The idea of forgiveness and love and the standing in an atonement, right, for Onesimus. But there's a section, verse 7 in Philemon, that says this, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will grow in the knowledge of everything we have in Jesus Christ. Now, this is why this is a cool thing for us to close with. And I'm going to actually ask us in a minute to pray this over each other to finish this thing out physically used to do this thing when I was in youth group, when I was a youth pastor on the West Coast. We, it was called Operation Good News. Operation Good News was an event where we would pile kids in a van, take them down to the busy streets of Seattle, give them a couple of tracks, make sure that they could communicate at least somewhat, and then we would ask them to go see how many people they could lead to the Lord. I got to tell you, I've never seen more teenagers dry heave and vomit prior to going and doing something, by the way. It'd be all about, hey, we're going to go do this thing. We're going to go do street witnessing. And as we got closer and closer to Seattle, kids were like, oh, I'm having a hard time breathing. This, Oh, my gosh, my stomach. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. <laughs> and you thrust him out of the van and say, good luck. And they would come back, and they would be defeated. Mostly defeated, not because of what they represented, but because people were shopping, having vacation, and didn't want to stop on the corner with a teenager and have a conversation right now. The format of that was weird. And as, I, and as a youth pastor, I struggled with this, because I'm like, wait, 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 
I couldn't be doing anything better in life than having my students tell other people about Jesus. So maybe my function is off. Maybe I should do it in a different format because I hadn't truly understood Philemon 7. And neither did my students. And it took me a while afterwards to realize that the only true benefit that comes in sharing my faith is for me, the sharer, not the one who hears me. Listen to what it said again. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will grow in the knowledge of every good thing you have in Jesus Christ. Man, I thought evangelism was for everybody out there. Come on in. No. When I talk about Jesus Christ, I grow in an understanding. Jesus got mad at the Pharisees and he said, listen, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. In other words, if you want to know what people love, just listen to what they talk about. ESPN, sports, food, school, boyfriend, girlfriend. If you want to know what someone loves, listen to what they talk about. If we talk about Jesus, we will learn more about him. If we're active in sharing our faith, we will grow in a full understanding of Jesus. These are some sacred woods. There's been so many amazing things about God spoken in these woods over the last 20 plus years. If a small representation of what has been heard in this woods goes and takes forth and grows root and God uses it, it could change the world. Activation on our faith is the situation in the Church of America right now. Activation, movement, doing. I'm so pleased that creation has set up a partnership with Amaveo Group. You may have seen this green thing in the booth. It's called Day of Serve. There's going to be two sites, one in Philadelphia, one in Pittsburgh. Tim, just Philadelphia for now. Site in Philadelphia, Creation is bringing everybody in. They're going to do one day of service. It's going to be like a one-day serve mission trip. If you're looking for a way to activate the faith that you have, I would strongly encourage you to come down, take a photo of this QR code, and consider going and being a part of that. But beyond just doing that, an understanding of the word of God, time spent in the gospels, time spent understanding the letters and the words of Jesus to bring those things in our lives and knowing that it's not just simply something to be looked at, but something to be consumed. I would encourage you to the greater call of Christ. I would encourage you to go deep, to spend long amounts of time with him. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know what my father is looking for? Strong men and strong women to lay hold on God and hold on. Let us be the ones that never let go. I'd like to pray a prayer of blessing over you now to close us up, if you would be okay with that. Lord, it's easy to sit in these woods and stand on this stage and even pretend to understand <laughs> what's going on. With your left hand, you spin galaxies, and with your right hand, you're intimately here with us. Lord, for whatever has been said today that is not of you, let it take no root. 
but for that which came from your mouth, from your word, may it sit strong in our soul. May it sit heavy in us that it might change who we are. Lord, I pray that everyone here would be active in sharing their faith so that they can grow in a full understanding of everything we have in you, Jesus. Spirit of God, move us in spaces. Go before us, behind us, and through us to push us to things and do things that we would never in and of ourselves do. And Father, continue to stand at the porch of your heart. And every time we turn to you, no matter if we're coming to you running because we did something wrong or because we're running to you because we're confused or to show you something we're so proud of, will you open the door, fling it wide, put robes on our backs, sandals on our feet, and rings on our fingers so that we will know that you are who you say that you are. And may that truth and that understanding last long beyond the people sitting in this woods. May it last through, their, through, their, through the next generations that will come out of this woods. May great-grandchildren find themselves moving because of your heart, because of the legacy that has been brought up through people right here. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. And we'll give you the honor. For your truth is more truth than mine. Your love is more loving than me. And your kindness and your forgiveness knows no boundaries. It's in your great and mighty name we pray. Amen. So I'm serious about it. If anybody wants to talk about this Jesus thing, I'm here. Otherwise, I hope you have an awesome night tonight. You may have heard there's a new band called the Newsboys who are playing. <laughs> hey, let me just say one thing about the Newsboys. I don't know them personally, but I've been here enough to know that the tumultuous times that the Creation Festival has gone through over the last three to four years, there have been some partners that have never wavered in their faith and in their dedication to this festival. And you might think, like I do, another Newsboys concert. But I want you to go down there tonight, and when you're listening to them, I want you to know that they're one of the strong ones that battled through and never, ever, ever, ever pulled out of this festival. Ever. Never was there a call that had to be made convincing them to please play this. No. They know what this is about, and they know that stupid things happen. But they're here. So go down there tonight. Pretend like it's the first time you saw the drum set go on its side. Go bonkers when you see it and be like, I have never seen that before. Make them feel like this is the first time you've ever seen them. But just know that in supporting them, you are standing with those that support this festival. And that's really, really rad. And I couldn't be more thankful for guys like that that have never wavered in their consistency to this space. Amen? Amen. Guys, thanks for sitting out here and listening to me. I love you. See you later.